Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. Go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about both ministries and to gain access to archives of this radio program. Also there, you'll find an archive of full-length sermons. I'm glad you've joined us. In Psalm 73, a story is told. The psalmist almost falls into sin. He is jealous of people who do not regard God in their daily lives or business, and yet they seem to have charmed lives. Then the psalmist tells us that he is corrected out of this temptation by going to the temple of God. There, he moves from jealousy to confession and praise. Today, we consider what he saw there and how we may follow his example when tempted. You've got to imagine yourself where he is, and you've got to go with him to the temple yourself. You've got to understand something as well. He didn't go inside the temple. He doesn't know what's happening in the inner sanctum of the temple where the priests go and pray. That's somewhat of a mystery to him. He's just an ordinary man, and where he's able to go is just into the entry point of the temple. He just enters into the gate of the temple in Jerusalem, and what he sees there as he's entering and as he arrives there is enough to change his attitude and his mind about these things and to issue in praise. So this morning, for a second, I want to take you where he went. I want you to follow this average man making his way to the temple, making his way to the sanctuary, and see what it is that he saw and what he experienced and how it turned him into praise. As he would have approached the temple, he would have had an option. He could have gone south as he went through the first Nicanor gate. South would have brought him into another gate, and that was the gate in which he would bring some of the lesser, more minor sacrifices. Or if there were serious sacrifices that he would bring and a sin offering, he would go to the north and go through the northern gate. And there were two different gates that you could come into where you entered into the courtyard where the altar was, where the sacrifices were made. As he was making his way through that gate, and whether he would have gone to the left or the right, you might say, to go through the south gate or the north gate, he wouldn't have been able to do it hurriedly. There would have been a a long line of people making their way as well, a long procession. And as he was walking with them, they would have been leading either goats or sheep or an ox Or they would have had in their hands possibly doves or pigeons. Because those were the five animals or the three animals and two birds that were actually considered to be lawfully given for sacrifice in the temple. So they would have been leading their goat along with them or leading their sheep along with them or leading their ox behind them, moving them along. Maybe it would have taken more than one individual to lead the ox, but they would have been going. And everybody would think about that. Have you ever tried to make your way into like a football game? And you're just waiting to get through the turnstile to get into the game. And you're moving along, shuffling along with the crowd. But here you're not just shuffling along with the crowd. You're shuffling around with a crowd that's pulling a bunch of animals along with them or holding them in their hands. Making your way into that place, to the left or to the right. Then when you came into the entry point, right in the entry point, he would have been immediately greeted by a shuffling movement of priests, multiple priests that were in this open courtyard. They would have come and gather to the people that are arriving there, and the very first thing that the priest would have done was the priest would have placed in the hand of the individual arriving a knife. And then he would have led that man with that knife to take that knife and to take the knife and apply it to the throat of the ox or the sheep or the goat that he brought. He would have instructed the man to lay his hand upon that goat or that sheep or that ox 
and to press in as hard as he could. If there was more than one individual who had come at that time, maybe there was a group that came, the whole group would be instructed to lay their hand in upon and press their weight in upon that sacrifice that had been brought. And then the priest would have instructed the man or one of the individuals to take that knife and to pull it across the throat of that beast. And as the blood was being poured out, the priest would have taken a bowl. Actually, it was a bowl that had a point at the end of it, so you couldn't set it down. He had to constantly be holding it, and he would capture all the blood as it flowed out from that sacrifice, as the people had their hands upon it. While they were sacrificing it, they were told the prayer that they were to pray. We read about the prayer that was offered in the temple by Alfred Edesheim in his book, The Temple. As the knife is being pulled across, they would say, I entreat, O Yahweh, I have sinned. I have done perversely. I have rebelled. I have committed. And there they would list the various sins that they came to address in the sacrifice. But I return in repentance. And let this be for my atonement. Let this be for the covering of my offense. The sacrifice would be made. The blood would be collected. The priest would then go take the blood and he would sprinkle the blood on or splash the blood on the four corners of the altar and what was remaining of the blood in this large vessel he had would be poured out at the base of the altar. So much blood was poured out at the base of the altar that actually a brook was formed from there that flowed down from the mount. It was the brook Kidron and it flowed with blood throughout the day of sacrifice. While the priest was splashing the blood and pouring out the blood, those who had brought the sacrifice were remaining and they were to skin the rest of the sacrifice they had made and they were to cut up the meat that they had brought with them and they were actually given the provisions to wash it and clean it right there at the entrance, either to the north or south of the altar. Then the priest would come back who had offered out the blood and he would gather up the meat of their sacrifice and he would take it and he would go back up on the altar and he would cast the meat out in a haphazard way upon the altar and then he would situate it so that it would be consumed on the altar and burned before them. That was the endless procession that went up from the time of the first morning offering to the last offering at the end of the day throughout the day in the temple. A procession of people leading their sacrifices at the entryway of the courtyard, an unending expression of sacrifices that were made throughout the day, of blood that was collected and blood that was poured out, and of sacrifices that were put on the altar that were burned and consumed and went up as the smoke rose up into heaven. Not necessarily a really beautiful picture. Not this beautiful, romantic image of an uplifting religion. Right? Not all, positive, not all positive thoughts and just positive thinking here. Something graphic and something awful. Something that they witnessed and something that he saw. And this is what he would have seen. And this is what he would have seen when he came into this place. A stunning, ongoing procession. A stunning statement of the awfulness of sin. Of God's requirement for that sin. And of God's provision for that sin as well. And... It was as he saw these things that he realized something that corrected his thinking. It was as he saw this experience of sacrifice upon sacrifice and death upon death and blood after blood flowing that he realized something that corrected all the thoughts that he had in the midst of this temptation. Number one was this. He realized that God was taking an account of sins. God was taking sin seriously. 
He is not winking at evil or ignoring it. God requires death for sin. That's what's being stated most apparently here. God requires death for sin. It's not being ignored. There is no easy life and no easy death that somehow ends simply there. But there's still an accounting to take place. And those who would resist and reject God's will will be brought before God's justice because God is keeping count. Those who ignore God's provision and live accumulating their sins and resting in the seeming impunity of their independence from God will not escape the final accounting from God's hands. He sees in a moment that these individuals who are ignoring what this thing is declaring and the statement that's being made day in and day out in the temple, that these individuals who are boasting against God are in a slippery place. That they're living in a dream. And it's a dream that's going to end very abruptly. God is going to wake up and bring them to account, to an everlasting account for their sin through His holy judgment. It will be the accounting of His wrath against sin, which is being expressed and typified in these sacrifices that are being offered in the temple. The second thing he realizes is this. He realizes before the clear, ongoing statement of the price of sin that's expressed in the sacrifice of the goat or the lamb or the ox or the dove or the pigeon, he realizes not simply that God is taking account of the sins of the wicked, but he also realizes that God has taken a measure of his own sin, of his own attitude, of his own selfish carelessness. He sees how selfish and careless he's been in seeking comfort and ease in a world that is facing such an awful judgment. The endless offerings for sin tell him not to take his own sin lightly or to take lightly the sins of others, even if in the moment or for the time being they seem to be getting away with it. The temple says not only are their sins serious, but the temple and all the proceedings that were lying, taking place before him was telling him, but your sin is serious as well. And he says, oh, how foolish before God I've been. Oh, how foolish before this witness of the seriousness of sin and God's exacting accounting of sin. Has it been for me to envy and be longing after the temporary comforts of those who seem to be going along in an easy life in light of the eternal counting that God is declaring that He's doing with all men. And He feels Himself a fool. And He feels Himself a brute in that place. The third thing is this. He's in the temple. He is before the sacrifice. He, along with those who have brought their sacrifice, has stretched out His own hand and He's pressed in upon the provided lamb. He places all of His weight on that lamb that is to be slain. And as a result, he remains, in spite of this attitude and in spite of his sin, he remains standing before God. Somehow a death has been received in his place for the death that he deserves. And God has found a way to hold on to him in relationship before this bloody scene. And he's humbled. He is filled with praise for a God who has tenaciously taken hold of him in spite of his doubts and his temptations and his foolish and sinful thoughts. He had thought to turn back from God's will, but God has not turned back from him. God has held on to him through the offering of a sacrifice for his sins. Number one, you see, 
He saw the ultimate destination or outcome of the life of the wicked. Number two, he saw the piggish, brutish attitude and thoughts of his own ignorance and sinfulness. Number three, he saw that despite all of this, God had left him a place to continually be with him. God had not let go of him. That's what he sees in the temple. That's what he experiences. That changes everything. That changes the whole tenor of his attitude and his disposition because he looked in the temple. Now listen, we can't go to the temple, can we? It's not there anymore. We can't go to that place. In fact, I had to kind of go back and spend a lot of time this week reading through the various accounts of what took place in the temple just to get in my mind an idea and give you a little short account of what this man would have experienced and what he would have seen in that sanctuary. It's been over 2,000 years since the sacrifice has been made in that temple. So where do we go? Where do we go? Where do we stand? What do we look upon when we are overwhelmed with a sense of temptation and that people are getting away with murder or getting away with whatever and their life is good and pleasant and we're tempted to want that instead and we start formulating phrases and thoughts, faithless thoughts in our minds that we are tempted to declare so that we can excuse ourselves to do something that we think will be easier for us, make us feel better, be more comfortable for us. Where do we go when we're thinking like that so that we can get back to praise well we go to the cross we go before a table like this that represents the suffering of our Savior Jesus Christ everything symbolically expressed in the sacrifice of the temple is graphically realized in the sacrifice of God's Son upon the cross and there we find a correction for all of our petty sinful thoughts you've been listening to the bread of life a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.